strayed off the snow of the Tetons through the streets. The chill was made worse by the fact that the sun was shining bright and hard enough to look like summer. An archway leading into a small park caught her eye. At first she thought the arch was made of the bones of cattle that she'd seen as a child. But these were different. They were more elegant and pointed, tapering out. They didn't feel like the finality of death, but more a symbol of life cycling through change. Antlers, she realized, grown and shed each year in a cycle that isn't birth or death, but simply another way to be. Like Custer's paintings, a beautiful and eerie reminder that wilderness, wildness, isn't all that far away. Shivering, she hurried on. I should be back in San Francisco, holding hot coffee from Murray Cafe as I head up to the offices of Perfect Touch. But then all I'd know about my mystery man is his voice. So what? The practical part of her mind pointed out. The last thing I need is a man. Sarah liked living her life on her own terms, doing what she wanted whenever she wanted. As the only girl out of seven children, she'd had more than enough diapers, housework, and babysitting to last her a lifetime. Wind with icy teeth bit at her black slacks and tugged at her red pullover sweater. The only thing that kept the wind from billowing up her sweater was the sleek black leather belt snugged at her waist. But it wasn't enough to keep her warm. Damn that thief. Then she reminded herself that it could be worse in so many ways. She could be back home on the dairy farm, a plain, rebellious teen hauling a feed cart through damp, drafty barns, then making the return trip leading a stubborn Holstein. At least there aren't any holes in my boots forcing me to get up close and personal with fresh cow flops. The phone in her pants pocket rang. If it's the sheriff, he can wait. Even as that irritated thought crossed her mind, she hesitated. The call could be from Jay Vermillion, the man who had dozens of fine art paintings that could kick her career up to the next level. Paintings with the potential to be so valuable that they'd been the part of an ongoing, hotly contested divorce settlement. Maybe, just maybe, she thought. One of those paintings is the fabled Muse, the only portrait painted by Custer. That would explain why the legal battle had outlived the original owner of the paintings, J.D. Vermillion. His much younger ex-wife, Liza, who had begun suing J.D.'s estate six years ago to gain access to the art her former husband had begun collecting before she'd even been a teenager in braces, had, with his passing, simply turned her lawyers loose on the primary heir to J.D. Vermillion's estate, his son, Jay. Sarah's mouth curved slightly as she continued walking. I've never met the infamous Liza Newman once, Vermillion, but with possession being nine-tenths of the law, I'd put money on Captain Jay Vermillion keeping his ex-stepmother's hands off the undiscovered Armstrong Custer Harris paintings in the future. The retired army veteran who had recently inherited the family ranch the fruit of generations of his Vermilion ancestors, had a grit and determination to him that came right through the phone line. 
You haven't even met the man, Sarah reminded herself. She fished the cellular out of her tight front pocket at last, glanced at it, and saw the cell had gone to voicemail. She palmed the phone and gave a mental shrug. It wasn't a Wyoming number calling, which meant it wasn't the sheriff. Or Jay, damn it. Think of the good captain like any other potential client who calls you during business hours to get advice on Western art, she told herself firmly. Impossible. Jay Vermillion might be a potential client, but he was also the man she had been talking to half the nights for the past few months. At first, it had been all business. But somehow, the conversations had quickly evolved into... more. I don't know how I could talk about myself and my work and my dreams like that with someone I've never met.